Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7, says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You can be seated this morning. We stand here today on Palm Sunday, the day that we commemorate the triumphant ride of Jesus on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem, praised and, and, and worshipped and lifted up and celebrated as he triumphantly rode in in his humility, the back of a donkey. And the Bible tells us that they took palm leaves and they threw them on the ground in front of him before his path in honor of him. That was a symbol of, of their honor and their respect and their love for him. He was celebrated. It was a beautiful thing. Little did many of them know that just a few precious days later, they would be throwing rocks at him and spitting on him, and scourging him and beating him. So in one of the preceding, one of the greatest acts of contrition and love by any being ever known, he's preparing himself to sacrifice for us. What an unbelievable message of love. What an unbelievable statement. We throw our palms before God every Sunday. If you're new in the house this morning, we welcome you. Glad to have you here today. Uh, Later on after service, the pastors would love to meet with you. We have a hospitality suite just down the hallway there. You can't miss the gigantic sign that's there pointing to it. Um... Our, our family care pastor, Brother Steve Kiley, or one of our pastors, Pastor Rob Meyer, uh, or possibly myself, if I can get back there, would be happy to meet you. Just to greet you. We've got coffee and some goodies and some things back there. But sometimes people like to come back and say, man, what was that guy talking about? I've never heard that before. Or, who do you think you are? No, they don't say that. So, all that being said, <laughs> in God and his interesting sense of humor is, placed a message in my heart today that could be so much further from what you're typically used to in a Palm Sunday service, but I believe in my heart that what he's given me and it's weighed heavy on me for the last week is so critically important for us to understand. It's so critically important for the survival of our walk. I really believe that. It carries that much weight, but it's not me, it's the word of God. It's it's what he's given me. We're going to celebrate what God did for us in just a few days. It's coming. And we're going to continue to throw our palms up before him. If you're new in the house, I just want you to know that you're in a church that loves Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not afraid to say it. We're not to lift up his name. We're not afraid to live the word of God. And I've said it again and again, and I'm going to keep reinforcing it every chance that I get. If it exists between the two black covers, I'm going to preach it. And what I'm going to give to you today exists between the two black covers, but I don't think we preach it enough. And as I said, I believe it's critical for our walk. This is going to be some heavy material. If you're new here, you haven't been in a church before, you haven't been in an apostolic faith before, it may be be heavy, but I believe there's blessing in it and there's message for you as well. So the word love, boy, the world throws that around a lot. Can I just tell you, just right on the outset, the world is closing in on us. At least they think they are. What I mean by the world is I'm talking about sin and humanism and all of this stuff that is displeasing to God, and it's slowly closing in on the evangelical churches and the denominal churches of this this country and, and the world, in fact. But it's happening in bits and pieces and little parts. And part of it, part of the tactic and part of what the world wants to do is nullify and neuter the power of the church. 
They want to neuter and nullify you. And so one of the ways that they do that is by redefining things. See, they're changing the rules of the game, at least they think they are. When I say they, who do I mean? Do I mean perfectly innocent, good people who don't know any better, just don't know God and haven't had a chance? Am I inspiring some sort of a anger towards people that don't come to our church every week? Nope, absolutely not. I'm talking about the people that are being influenced and driven by a theology and a doctrine that really comes directly from the enemy. And yes, this church does believe there's an enemy. By the way, that's one of the tactics of the world is and the enemy is to convince us he doesn't exist, right? That was one of his most masterful, his most masterful uh, uh, attempts in the world is to convince people he doesn't exist. Why? Because he can reign free and affect people, and that's what's happening. So in a large sense, there are many, many people who are effectively voices and effectively power in our, in our, powerful in our culture, in our society, that are influenced by this force, if you will, there is good and evil in the world. Let's, can we just get that out on the table too? If you've subscribed to the idea that generally everybody's just good, I'm sorry that that's counter to scripture. It's not, and I'm going to prove it here in just a moment. And so the world is, is gradually redefining terms and really trying to define terms for you. You ever have anybody say, well, oh, I thought Christians were supposed to love everybody. Well, God loves everyone. God's love. God is love. We just read it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. God is love. Do you understand that it's not just an attribute of God? It's not just some abstract concept. It's God is, his very substance is love. If God didn't exist in the universe and somehow people were here, there would be no love. You see what I'm saying? But there probably would be no universe either. But the point, I'm just trying to get to the point, the idea that God himself is love. This is true. The fallacy that we've been fed or that they want to feed back to us is that he is exclusively just love. And that's all he does. But see, there is a counter to God. There is an anti-Christ. There is an element of evil that exists. The universe is full of dichotomies. We live in them every single day. There's hot and there's cold. There's dark and there's light. Right? There's tall and short, fat and skinny. Dichotomies all the time. We live in them. Well, guess what? There's good and there's evil. But I think sometimes the church really, really loves to focus. I mean, we're so in love with the concept of love that we forget there's evil sometimes. Or maybe we don't forget, but maybe we're just a little ambivalent towards it. The love that we're going to celebrate in just a few days is the love that we learn about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You don't have to go there, but for those of you who don't know, that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we refer to it as the love chapter. And it describes love, describes it beautifully. It's the love that describes a Savior that would hang on a cross and would forgive those, the very ones that were lashing him with a scourging whip and placing a crown of thorns on his head and spitting on him and hating him and screaming all those things. And what did he say from the cross? But to forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's love. That's the love of the God that we serve. And of course, that's the love that we're to reflect as well, right? This love that vaunteth not and doesn't swell up in pride doesn't take advantage, and so on and so on. You can read it there in 1 Corinthians 13. But we focus on that love aspect of God as if God doesn't have another side or another personality or, or, or another side to his approach to his creation. And that's just simply not true. So today I want to ask you the question, and I want to prepare you and I want you to come to the conclusion. I want you to decide in your heart today if you understand this factor and if, what, if you understand what it means. Is God a hater? It's a term you hear all the time amongst the young people. My kids used to bring it home every once in a while. I'd be angry. I hate the Cardinals. Not the pretty birds that fly around in the springtime. I mean the baseball team from St. Louis. Let's just be clear. Okay. <laughs> 
We use love and hate like that a lot. I love pie. I really love the brewers. I love this. We just, we use that word so much. I said the world is redefining it. Now the inappropriate intercourse between a man and a woman or maybe whatever is called love. Right? If you can't be with the one you want, love the one you're with, right? Love. They use love for everything. Covers a myriad of sins and bad behaviors. But I started to say, I hate the Cardinals. I'm a Brewers fan. Love the Brewers. Hate the Cardinals. And it's because I was there in 82. Anybody remember 82? Game seven. I wept. I was 12 years old. I wept for three days. And then they beat us again, and they beat us again, and they won 75 World Series. And we have none. That's going to change this year, by the way. That's prophetic. By the way, if you come to this church, God's a Brewer fan. He loves the Brewers. Find it in Scripture. So I would say something around the house like, oh, I hate the Cardinals, I hate that. And invariably one of them would say, don't hate, Dad. Don't hate. You hear that phrase? Ever hear that phrase? Don't hate. Because probably somewhere in school and all this stuff, there's there's the anti-hate campaigns and don't hate things. And you shouldn't hate. Love. Love everything. Because the more you love, like King Solomon fell into, you know, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, son of King David, son of King David. And Solomon was so wise and so brilliant, but the Bible says that Solomon had a massive heart. He was he just had a huge heart. Now I don't know if that means physically, he just had this massive cardiac thing going on, but it says he had a big heart, and, and his heart swelled, and it was large, and it, it, the reason was, is because he had a thousand wives, or ten thousand wives, or concubine, I forget the combination, but it's a lot of women, and, uh, and so what happened was that Solomon, in his wisdom, but in his love for all of these people, he decided that he's going to accept in some things that didn't belong. And so he wanted to please those that he loved, and so in pleasing them, he allowed them to allow their pagan behaviors and their activities into the temple of God. This happened because Solomon did not truly understand that there are things that God does hate. Hate. Oh, man, this is controversial. Are Are you telling me we're in a hater church? Nope. It's not what I'm saying. We're not going to run down to some abortion protest and scream at people and say, God hates this and God hates That's not what I'm talking about. But there are things that God does hate. And Solomon allowed things that God hated into the temple because of his desire to just be so loving of everybody. So, Brother Cordell, are you saying that we have to be selective in who we love and how we love them? Nope, not saying that either. What I'm saying is, is that we need to understand that as much as we love love, and we love to talk about the love of God and share the love of God, and we should, and we should remind people that God is love, and he does love them. He loves you just as much as he loves the sinner. They love to quote John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Now, do you think that when, when that scripture says that John loved the world, that it was literally saying John really loved that when people murder other people, he loves that. Or when people take drugs and when people harm their children and when people beat one another, he loves that. Is that what, is that what that's saying? Of course not. But we're getting to a place where the world, the spirit of the world, is redefining terms till that it's almost like that. They're almost literally like trying to redefine it so that, yes, indeed, regardless of the fact that you murdered your brother or you, you are an infidel with your wife or you take drugs or you hurt people or you steal, God still loves that. God doesn't love that. God loves the person. Okay? What I'm saying to you folks is that we need to begin to educate ourselves in what the enemy is, is purveying into our very own doctrine, our very own word. We need to recognize that there's an insidious plot to redefine these terms and put you in a place where you are neutered, where you can't profess the word of God. Do you understand that there are people today that are telling you and are saying that if you are a Bible believer, you're a hater? That's already on the table. We've lost some of that ground already. Do you understand? They're literally saying, if you're a Bible thumper, you're a hater. Because they're equating the two things. If we hate the fact that somebody 
is stealing or murdering or hurting or doing whatever, whatever the behaviors are that we know the Bible is against, by hating those behaviors, which we should, they're automatically sticking the two together and saying, you hate that person. You're a hater. And so what does that do to us then? That causes us, to, oh, 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 I, I don't want to be called a hater. I don't want anyone but not like me. I don't want my neighbors to identify me as the kook in the neighborhood that's you know, got this radical message that they have that we shouldn't sin, right? What does this have to do at all with Palm Sunday and Easter? What I'm telling you is just as much as we're about to celebrate the most amazing act of love the world has ever known, we need to understand that there are things that God hates and he is saying to us, we need to hang on to the concept that we need to hate them too. I told you this wasn't going to be typical. It's heavy material. But the less we focus on that, the more that we shy away from the things that we're called to hate, the more ambivalent we can become to those things. We are not called to be ambivalent to evil. We're to hate evil. Well, why? Why would that be so important? Hate is a strong word. It's used in Scripture many, many, many times. And the world has made it evil. See, they've made it bad for you to say that you hate something. And so by ascribing us to be haters, then they've made us bad. See, we become the criminal, become the bad guy. The reason it's so important is that when you hate something, you establish a barrier or a standard. I hate liver. There is nothing on planet Earth besides the devil and his works that I hate worse than liver. Do you ever get that thing when people go, well, you've never had it the way I made it. <laughs> Who's a victim of that? Thank you. We'll meet later. Go out for not liver. Right? Lloyd said, yes, I have had people do that to me. Oh, brother, you've never had it the way I make it. And then you taste it and you throw up and you go, yep, that's the same. <laughs> Terrible. I hate liver. It's, it's, a, it's, it's vile. It's disgusting. And those of you that eat it, I'll pray for you later. But guess what? Because I hate it, it doesn't come into my home. It doesn't end up in my grocery cart. It is not in my refrigerator. It's not in my freezer. It's not even in my thoughts. As a matter of fact, I went into all my wife's... Well, she's, she's back teaching Sunday school. I went into all my wife's cookbooks and I took all the liver recipes out <laughs> and threw them away. Why? Because liver is evil. It's an organ that's designed to filter all the yucky stuff out of your digestive system. <laughs> There's... There's some liver eaters in here that are like, I hate Brother Cordell. <laughs> That's a new hate that I have. Going to true life. <laughs> Thank you for those that laughed at that. So, hatred for something, as much as that sounds like an evil act, is actually something we need to embrace to certain levels, especially when it relates to the Christian walk into to the doctrine and the word of God because it helps us create a standard, a barrier. Ooh, did he just say standard? It creates a barrier. And so we shy away from it. So just like liver, there should be things in your life. There should be things that you're aware of. There should be things that maybe you've had the tendency to maybe participate in maybe in your old life before you came to meet God, that should not be allowed in your grocery cart, should not be allowed in your refrigerator, or your living room, or your bedroom, or anywhere in your home. And if you have a recipe for some of those things, somebody hear me now, if you have a recipe for some of those things, you should probably go into the cookbooks and pull those out and destroy them. That's word, and I'll support it right now. Proverbs chapter 8 and 13, you don't have to go there. And, and uh, Sister Becky, I apologize for not getting you scriptures. I'm just going to blaze through these real quick so you don't have to bring them up. 
Proverbs 8 and 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Strong words. We have to hate evil, but here's the problem. The world is redefining evil. The world is redefining sin. Remember what I said earlier, you've got to be aware of how the enemy is changing the rules of the game. So as your pastor, I'm probably through the course of time going to continue to remind you and bring to light and reflect the fact that I see what the world is doing and I'm watching over you as the flock and I'm going to tell you they're redefining evil for you. That's my job. And I am sticking to it. Just recently, after all this abortion stuff happened, the governor of New York, was it the Empire State Building? Somebody, somebody quote me. The Empire World Trade Buildings. Lit it up as a celebration of new legislation that we can murder babies up to the point of, of birth. And lit up the building in pink as a celebration, as a beacon to goodness and love. Because you have to love people who are in that situation and they just can't take care of that baby. And it's, it would be bringing that baby into a harsh world and it would end up somewhere. And so we loved that person and, and we love those rights. Right? We've redefined that evil. I do not apologize for anyone in the room that continues to think that any way, shape, or form the taking of a life of a child before it's born or even directly after is ever in any way, situation, shape, or form ever not evil. But here's how love comes into play. If we encounter somebody here, you're a, you have a family member who during the course of life made that decision. We love that family member. You never judge that person for that decision. You never attack them for that. You never bring them down. They're not a lesser person. God doesn't love them any less than he loves you. We've got to understand there's definitions and there's guidelines and there's approach to this love and hate thing. Well, you aborted your baby. You're not allowed here in our church. Absolutely not. If someone in this room had taken that action in the course of their life, I do not judge you. We will never hate you. We will love you. And God Almighty, help you through dealing with that process in your mind if it's affecting you. Because from what I've learned and read and understand is that after someone goes through that, there's a tremendous amount of guilt and hurt and depression that comes. They can pretend that it was great. There's actually rallies where they get together and go, I'm so excited I had my fourth abortion. And I, yes, it was great, literally. An actress from Hollywood said, I was so excited to have my last abortion. Woe unto them. The book of Isaiah says in chapter 5, woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. There's a judgment waiting for those. Now, if she came here, got to know the Lord, and we had a chance to talk with her and share God's love with her and and, and, and she chose to turn her life over to God, absolutely. God even loves her, believe it or not. We have to keep that in focus. Psalms 5 and 5 says, Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. 45 and 7 says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. There's a difference. There's a dichotomy. I'll go back to that every time. There's righteousness and there's evil. There's good and there's bad. And it's up to us to understand that we have to hate it. Ambivalence towards evil is not an option. It's not what we're allowed to do, and here's why. When you become ambivalent towards something, and for those of you, and I'm sorry, and I'm not trying to talk over anybody, that simply means you're neutral to it. You just sort of accept it. But here's how this process works. That's right. Everybody get that? Beth said they desensitized to it. But here's how that happens. My turn. <laughs> I love her. First, it starts with exposure. You may want to write this down, by the way. 
First, it starts with exposure. We're exposed to a particular wrongdoing, a sin, a behavior. I pick on alcohol a lot in here, primarily because I was, I was raised up in a family where I had family members that were alcoholic. I had a stepfather that was alcoholic. I was subject and victim to alcoholism almost my entire life until we got into the church and even after for a while. And so I pick on alcohol a lot. And, and if you're a partaker of alcohol, I make no bones about it. You're playing with evil. There is nothing good about anything related to alcoholic products, period. We can be ambivalent to it. We can say, well, I just a little sip at Christmas once in a while, didn't hurt anything. That's ambivalence. But you expose yourself to it long enough, and you're going to move to the next step. So the exposure, you sit around with people that drink, you go to parties where people drink, you do all this stuff, eventually you're going to try that sip. You'll get to the next place, and that's tolerance. You just sort of tolerate that it's there, that it exists. And something begins to happen where your, bre- your breakdown is there. See, if you don't hate, if you don't hate, hate, hate exactly. alcohol and what it does to people and the lives that it destroys and the things that it does to your body and the, the accidents that are caused and the horrible things that it rots on families, if you don't hate that, then you don't define a barrier. Yep. And then you allow yourself to be exposed to it. Yep. And then after exposure, you become tolerant to it. Well, it's not that big of a deal. I can, I can have a beer and not be drunk. I can have a glass of wine at Christmas with my family and not, not be drunk. But the problem is, is that our barrier is gone then. Now all of a sudden, liver's in your grocery basket. After tolerance becomes a grudging acceptance. Well, it's just part of life. It's just part of American society. Smoking and drinking, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it, right? Anybody ever say that to a a mom or dad? Everybody else. Everybody's going to the party, mom. My turn. After the grudging acceptance, then it comes the worst part, or at least where it really gets bad, and that is participation. Participation means we actually start to partake. We take that sip. We accept that, that, that thing or whatever it is. Again, I'm just applying one example. And we take participation, and we go, wow, nothing really happened. That's okay. And see, that's the deceit from the enemy. There's a lot of things, Paul said, there's a lot of things that are not profitable for me but aren't good for me either. In other words, there's a lot of stuff I can do that's not against the law. You know it's not against the law to cheat on your wife? It's not very good for you though, is it? That's an evil. And we should hate any element of that. That works in the reverse too, by the way, ladies. (laughs) Just as not against the law to cheat on your husband, but just as much a deadly sin. And so, when we take these barriers down and we begin to accept these things, become ambivalent to evil, we're kind of playing into the hands of the enemy. We're playing into our testimony. Because somewhere down the line, if you're really in this game and keeping a toe in the water, something's going to happen and someone's going to say, hey, I know you go to that church down the street, I really, I need your help. And you feel the urge, okay, well, wow, God actually is going to use me. And all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute now, you can't talk to me about this particular sin or that particular sin because I've seen you doing it. And you've destroyed your testimony. So loving the world and loving what's in the world and what the world does is two completely different things. The book of Romans says, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Dissimulation in that meaning, in that, in that scripture, in Romans, dissimulation simply means you can't divide it up into your own definition and your own pieces. In other words, you can't say that allowing sin is love. Because it'll get a foothold in your life then. You've opened the door. You've given it permission. You've simply accepted the fact that it's okay. And I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that we're going to define sin. 
Why? Because we want to point fingers at people and we want to make you feel guilty and God wants to tear you down and level some sort of a judgment against you? Absolutely not. It's because I don't want to see my brothers and my sisters and my family beaten down and tore down because the wages of sin is death. And if we don't know what sin is, if we haven't defined it in our lives, it will kill you. This is fact. This is not opinion. This is scripture. We've got to hate evil. Ecclesiastes 3 and 8 says a time to love and a time to hate. A time to war and a time for peace and so on. You know the scripture very well. There is a time for you to hate certain things, but there's a way for you to do that. If somebody ever comes up to you and says, we've got to be prepared for this stuff. We've got to be prepared for these tactics that the enemy is going to use because people, people who never go to church and never read the Bible and never have anything to do, just know stuff. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Is that the only scripture you know? Well, I've been doing this my whole life, partner, and I know there's a few other scriptures. But they'll do that. They'll shame you into a corner. They'll put you in a place where you're undefended. Because I don't want to be a hater, Pastor Meyer. I, I, don't, I feel uncomfortable with that, so I'm going to shy away. Listen to the news media and the way the politicos attack each other. Listen to their tactics. Listen to the words that they use when they go after each other. And there's one side of that group that always cowers. Oh, my goodness, don't, don't say that I'm a hater and I don't accept all this. And they've torn their barriers down. Any of you guys that are wrapped up in all that heavy political stuff, you, your, your groups are messed up. You want to talk about a mess of evil? My opinion is one side's got the evil and the other side's accepted it. They've made tolerant to it. They've been ambivalent towards it. And they've backed off their standard. They took the wall down. That's why I don't dive into that stuff anymore. Evil, corrupt men bantering about about all of this stuff for their own personal gain. Proverbs 6 is probably our best example of God's approach to this. And, and mind you, listen to what these, these six things are. Yea, seven are abomination. It says in Proverbs 6 and 16, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Oh my goodness. But we'll throw pink lights up on a building and say, oh, isn't it wonderful and glorious? Because we've loved Hands that shed innocent blood. God hates that. Period. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running the mischief. And a false witness that speaketh lies. And finally, the worst of all, yea, seven are an abomination. He that soweth discord among the brethren. What does this have to do with Easter? We have to take those words and put them in our hearts and understand that it's our defense. It's our wall. It's our barrier against allowing these things into our life. Well, the reason this has something to do with Palm Sunday and Easter is because God did not triumphantly roll into Jerusalem bringing the final pieces of his message and die on the cross in the most hideous way imaginable so you and I can define that evil is okay. There's some things that are just innocent. There's some things that we can allow in our lives. Jesus died for this stuff. And how dare you stand there and tell me that it's okay that we murder babies. It's okay that we actually promote drunkenness and, and all kinds of insidious activity from the littlest young ones in middle schools and high schools and on and on. And we stand by and say, well, that's just what kids do. We're ambivalent to that evil. We're ambivalent to the fact that there, there's rampant STDs rolling through these young people and babies being born and all these different things. But we got to love them. And what I'm saying to you is not that we don't love them, but were we ambivalent to evil in the first place? Society and the schools and, and, and our culture has become so ambivalent to bad behavior. How dare you try to tell a child that it's improper for them to engage in sexual activity prior to marriage? Oh, what an old-fashioned, silly, stupid idea that is. But see, I didn't, I didn't write this. I, I'm not telling you this because I want to shame somebody who's family member or you had this experience in your life. Or, that's not the point. 
The point is from here moving forward. If there's ambivalence to evil and wrongdoing in your life in any way, shape, or form, you got to bolden yourself up. you got to stand up and say, just as much as I love love and I love righteousness, I hate evil. Why? Because of what it does to the people that it affects. Those babies born out of wedlock so many times are thrown into a household with no father or no mother. The the treatment isn't as good as they can get. And I realize there's exceptions. I'm not picking on anything. I'm just saying, in the world, in the general sense of things, it's a horrible situation. Oh, you people, you're always talking against smoking and drinking and all this stuff. You can't do anything. You Christians are so tied up, you can't do anything. Yeah, Boy, what a bummer. I don't get to get lung cancer. I don't get to get cirrhosis of the liver. Oh. Do you understand the wages of sin is death? These things that we want to hang on to, the world wants to hang on to so much, are just poison. Self-destructive. We're legalizing marijuana all over the place. When I was in grade school, Officer Friendly came in and basically told us, if you even get in the same room with marijuana, your face is going to melt off, your head's going to pop, and, and, and everybody in your family, including your newborn puppy, is going to die. And I say that jokingly, but when you're eight years old and Officer Friendly's going, don't ever touch marijuana, it will kill you. You didn't touch marijuana. Now we're celebrating it. Hey, let's make it legal. All right. Let's hand it out on corners in in Denver. It's a gateway drug. They've been telling us that for years. You start with marijuana. That doesn't work that well anymore. Let's see what we can shoot in our veins or snort up our nose. Well, that's okay too. And then the world comes back around and says, it's a terrible problem we have with drugs in our society. Why do you think? But see, Jesus Christ didn't come and die on the cross for us so that our society could sit there and say, oh, you, thanks, hey, you know what? That was cool, appreciate it. We're just going to do our own deal anyway because that's old-fashioned. And then turn around and legalize this and approve that and stand by and admonish this. That's what they're doing. And my God, is the church ambivalent to it? Do we focus so much on the love and the righteousness of God that we forget that there is something called sin? Well, we can't define sin. That'll offend somebody. Good. If you're enraptured in a whole lot of great sin right now, I want to offend you right into the place of repentance because I care about your soul. I don't care about your sensibilities. I'm not here to not offend you. I'll say this too, and I know we may have guests here today, and my vision's not that good, so I can't point anybody out. I want our guests to feel welcome. And if you're a guest here today, I hope you do feel welcome. And I'll stand by, and I've got scriptures and notes. You can call me down. You can meet me in the hospitality suite. I will share with you every scripture. Because at the beginning of this thing, I said, if it's between the two black covers, I'm going to preach it. Why? Because we're not defined to be able to peek pieces out and call it the way we want to call it. That's what they're doing out there. This church is going to preach the pure, true truth from page one to the end page, period. And we're going to keep on preaching it until they're banging our doors down and screaming at us and threatening us, and we're still going to preach it. But my point in all of that is this, is that I want our guests to be comfortable Excuse me, welcome, but I don't care if they're comfortable. Because you know what? My mom and I were an uncomfortable pair of people sitting in a church service just like this about 37 years ago. We didn't know God like we needed to know God. We didn't understand the depths of what God had for us. We didn't know the awesome, wonderful power of the love that we love to talk about. But when they started talking about things related to sin and getting a hold of God and repentance and baptism and receiving the infilling of the Holy Ghost, you better believe that we started to listen and hear. Were we comfortable? Absolutely not. They made us feel welcome. But we weren't comfortable. That's not my job. I'm sorry. If you came to feel comfortable and hear a pretty flowery message on, on Palm Sunday and all that, it, you're here for a reason and God had this message for you here for a reason. 
You got to stop playing with the things that look like sin and feel like sin, taste like sin. If it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. And you need to call it a duck and you need to get it out of your life. Set the standard. Hate the liver. That's not the title, by the way, that's going on the CD. Ecclesiastes 8 and 11 says, Because sentence is not executed speedily, it is continually in the hearts of men to do evilly. If thou doest well, you will be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. It's waiting for you. Do you understand? It's not necessarily a matter of your will or your choice. It's there, and it's waiting for you. I've told you many times, the devil baits his hook with your favorite sin. If you let your guard down, if you become ambivalent to evil, if you get yourself exposed to it and you become tolerant of it and you begrudgingly accept it, you're going to taste it. And God help you then. Now, of course, we're all in the flesh. Listen, I'm not standing up here telling anybody I don't make mistakes. I'm, I'm in the flesh. You're in the flesh. We make mistakes. But we live a life of repentance. We live a life ex- understanding that if you get angry and you fly off the, the handle at work and cuss somebody out or something like that, I know that there's a, there's a thing there inside you, that guilt inside you that, 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 that just beats away at you that says, that was wrong, I shouldn't do that. But if you're living a life of repentance, number one, you should hate the fact that you just did that. Don't hate yourself, hate the fact that you allowed yourself to cut loose like that. But buddy, get down on your knees. Get a place somewhere, get aside somewhere and ask God to forgive you right away. Get into a life of repentance and understand that the reason he hung on that cross and bled and suffered and suffocated and died is because you can walk up to an altar at a church and bend your knee and say, God, please forgive me. I made a mistake today. And you know what the Bible said is he's good and faithful to forgive you right then and there, right now, done, over. That's the beauty of the love that we talk about. That's what the real love story is. Not all this nonsense that the world's pumping out there. Well, if you love people, you won't judge them. Don't be a judger. Don't be a hater. Wrong. We judge the sin, but we love the sinner. Why? Oh, that's just a cute thing that you say. I just, I just, this is cute little colloquialism that you put out there. No, it's absolutely my philosophy. I hate what sin does to my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers, but I love that person so much, and I want to see them separate from those two things so that they can enjoy the blessings and the love and the beauty that God has brought into my life, the blessings that I know. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't mess around. I don't take drugs. I don't get involved with any of that stuff. And it's a blessing. And it's a wonderful life. Proverbs 6 and 27 says that can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can he one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? You understand? Can you mess with it? Can you take a little sip? Can you take a little snort? Can you flirt a little bit at work? Can you look at some things on the, the, the internet thing and, and, and mess with that just a little bit? Well, yes, yeah, see, that's the problem is because a little bit of that sin goes a long way. And, oh, well, nothing happened. I, I, that didn't, nothing, I didn't, there was no recompense for that. I'll do it again. Now, nobody saw me. Nobody heard. I slipped over at the, at, at the gas station and hammered down a couple of beers. Nobody from church saw me. I drove drunk home from a party at work. I did this or that. There's, there's nothing happened. It's not illegal, like I said before. But see, that's the, that's the lie that the enemy pumps into our heads. Because eventually, it will expose itself. It will catch up with you. Ask any alcoholic. Ask any drug addict. Ask anybody that's been in this experience. And my God, have I spent enough time in AA meetings in my lifetime? And they'll tell you, it started out so innocently. I just had a couple of beers after work with my buddies. Or I just tried a little something at a party. And now they're desperate to get off the hook of these drugs and these things that they buried themselves in. Anybody here upset and angry that somebody that they knew reached out to them and invited them to a Bible study? Are you angry about that, anybody? You ever call them up, just, Bob! Thanks a lot for telling me the Bible story. Now I'm saved. You understand what I mean by that? Psalm 26 and 5 says, I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. 
I mentioned earlier Isaiah, the woe chapter, chapter 5 of Isaiah and 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The world today right now is oppositing everything. Whatever we see as good and wholesome and wonderful, they say is stupid. They mock families. You watch TV for a while and we call them dad bash shows or dad bash movies. The man is stupid. The woman is running the whole show completely counter to the the scriptural. God is the head, man and woman and the way that the household and the nuclear family is put together, it's a joke. They laugh at it. They make the, the, the man the fool. Anything wholesome is now a joke. It's a punchline. You ever hear the term goody two-shoes? Are you a goody two-shoes? I've never gone around with one shoe, so I don't know, really know what that means, but, and I try to be as good as I can, but that's a term. See, that's meant to shame you. Oh, you're a goody two-shoes. You don't, oh, that's right. You don't do that stuff. You know what your answer to that is? Yep. And I have clean lungs to prove it. And I have a fully functioning liver to prove it. And I have a clear mind to prove it. And I have a happy marriage to prove it. Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. Why does God say that? I'll tell you why. And you got to tune in on this. So why does God tell us not to lean onto our own understanding? First of all, there's a whole lot of people out there who have nothing, have no knowledge of God, no real true relationship with Him, but they're pumping out God's word and they're telling you what God thinks and what God says. And doesn't God do this and doesn't God do that? Don't spend a minute of their lives in church or studying the word of God, but they tell you this is what God thinks. I have the mind of God, and God would, well, God would never want to do this. Do you remember back in the election with Sarah Palin and all that, and they had this byline they were putting out there all the time? You know, Jesus was a community organizer, but Pontius Pilate was a governor. <laughs> this, this was the brilliance and the wisdom of people who've never stepped a foot in a church for more than 10 minutes for a funeral or something. But yet they're defining for us what we should be thinking and how we should feel and how we should behave in terms of what their version of God is. But God says to lean not onto your own understanding, and here's why. You are a frail human being with emotional biases, with personal opinions, personal situations. We struggle back and forth with our opinions and our ideas. We're emotional. We, we, have, we simply have biases, things we want to protect ourselves. We're self-preservers. We do all kinds of things in the flesh and in our mind and our own particular understanding that are counter to what God says. So when he says, lean not to your own understanding, he's saying, don't you dare define for me what my word says. I will tell you what the word says. You see, there there is a stone, cold, concrete, one way, one shape, one form, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. One, 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 one. And so we can't lean on our own understanding and decide for ourselves, well, I just decide this is the way God, this is what really, when God says he hates this, he doesn't really mean hate. He just means it's, he'd rather you not. No, that's, that's not correct. Romans 12 and 21 says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We gotta come after it. You can't just always be defensive. I love it when people challenge me on things when they think they're going to shame me. I'll give you the example I've given here before. I used to be in sales. I sold advertising space. And it was so funny because after a few years in the business, I was pretty confident in who I was and what I stood for. I knew what worked and what didn't work. I knew my product inside and out. I could tell you everything there was possible, you could possibly want to know about statistics related to advertising, print advertising. And invariably, I would go out to a new client sit down, go through the process with them, and I'd say, okay, I'd like to come back with a couple of samples and some ideas for your business that I think would work really well for you, and uh, I'll return and I'll present that to you, okay? And so the uh, second appointment would come, and I'd sit down and I'd start to present, and I'd provide my reasons why, and I would I'd do my Bible study, right? And I'd go through why they should do this, and I would justify my position, and invariably, I would hear, well, you just want to sell me a big ad, And so that was to shame me as though I would shame on you for being a sales guy, Brother Marty, right? How dare you come in here? Oh, you're just trying to to score on me is what they're saying. So that's designed as a defense mechanism. You go, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm here. Just a little piece. If you could just give me a little piece, I'd be happy with that. And I watched new sales reps do that. I would train them. I'd take them out in the market. I'd see that person. You're just trying to sell me something. And they'd go, oh, terribly sorry, sir. Please buy something. No. No. 
I knew my product inside and out. You hear me? I knew every bit of it. It was in my heart. I loved that business, by the way. And I enjoyed it. And frankly, I was very good at it. I was a multi-presidents club winner. And invariably, they would say that to me. And I'd look them straight in the face and say, yep, that's exactly what I'm trying to sell you. Because that's what works. If you're trying to get me to put some little garbage ad in here, I'll go call a rookie from the office, have him come out here and meet with you. But I'm not putting that in for you. Whoa, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, my experience shows is that's what's going to drive calls for your business. This is going to be buried in the back of the heading. Next year, I'm going to come out and you're going to go, oh, it didn't work, take it out. And that's what they would do. And so many times I would shock them when I'd say, yes, absolutely, the bigger the better. Because they're not expecting that, see? But see, I knew my product. I knew, I knew my stuff so well. I had it in my heart. I knew all of it so well. I was so in tune to it that you couldn't throw something like that at me and get me off my game and throw me off. Hey, wait a minute. You know, God's love. You're not supposed to. Well, hold on a second. It says here God hates sin but loves you, and here's what he's supposed to do. You need to be prepared that way. I told you in the message I preached a while ago, and I'm, gonna, I'm just wrapping up here. I preached here just a couple of weeks ago, preparing for the battle. Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't know every length, every nut and bolt and, and rivet in your sword, if your armor isn't latched all the way around, if you don't have your helmet on with the strap in the right place, if you don't have your faith strong and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, you're going into battle and you're going to lose. I told you at the beginning of this message, it's a heavy message, but I believe with every bone in my body that we need to understand this concept. We need to know it so well because if you don't, your life, your very soul is in danger. I'm telling you, if you, if you become ambivalent to evil, if you don't start to define what sin is, it begin to examine yourself, examine your life and examine your home and say, yes, you know what? I got a little tolerant. I accepted some things. I accepted some behaviors. I've accepted some things in my life that shouldn't be there. We can all do it. We've all done it. You know, you clean your house top to bottom, end to end, as best you ever clean your house. And somebody can come in there with a white cloth and wipe it somewhere and find some dirt. You could clean your house six times. I'm not kidding. You could keep cleaning your house, but there's always going to be something there. We had a Kirby lady come out to the house one time. Still have it. Love my Kirby. She came out and she took the vacuum and she, and she took the little filter out and said, see, look at all the dirt that's there. I'm like, wow, cool. You got all our dirt up. No, hold on, sir. Put the thing in it. Same spot. Over and over, she, what she was proving was that our old vacuum cleaner was really inefficient and wasn't doing the job. And she takes filter out, and there was dirt there. And she did that six times. She went, did that with the filter and the thing and checked it, and there was dirt there. What I'm saying is, is we got to keep on doing this process. Keep on examining yourself. Yes, participate in the love that God has given you. Yes, we're going to glorify and praise and worship God for the sacrifice he is. We're going to extol the love of God. We're going to keep on loving righteousness and loving love. But what I'm telling you today is you have to have at least, at least, at least an equal and opposite hatred for sin and the things that it does to you in your life and what it can do if it creeps in. Because if it's happening out there, it seeps into the church. And we got to keep vacuuming that spot and vacuuming that spot and vacuuming that spot until the dirt is gone. Till there's no more left. Till there's no more chance. I know that there's recovering alcoholics in this room. I know that and I respect it. But you know, if you're a recovering alcoholic, you've got to keep vacuuming that spot until there's just a place in your life that there's no way, shape, or form in any way that even the thought or concept of a little bit of alcohol in your life is ever acceptable. That's the same place you've got to be when it comes to sin, when it comes to the evil this world offers us. And it comes wrapped up in beautiful little packages and fun little things. It's just a movie. It's just a TV show. It's just a book. It's just a website. It's entertainment. It's not a big deal. You understand what I'm saying? You have to be so diligent in this and learn to hate evil. And when somebody steps up and challenges you on it, you've got to be ready to say, nope, yes, I did say hate. I did say hate. I did say it. 
Psalm 37, 27, depart from evil and do good. Romans 14 and 16, let not your good be evil spoken of. That's happening all over the place. Stand up for that thing. Oh, you Christians, you're always just judging people. Nope, wrong. Let me tell you where you got that wrong. I'm not judging people. I'm not doing anything to hurt people. But the thing that you're challenging me that I'm judging is something that's hurting them. And if anybody of the two of us cares about that person, it's me. Because I'm willing to stand up and say, what they're doing in their life right now is going to hurt them. It's going to hurt their soul and their family and possibly them. But you stand there in your ambivalence and say, you're judging them. And what I'm saying to you today is you can do that confidently and with love. And maybe, just maybe, you change that person who called you a judge. Oh, wow, I didn't think of it that way. See, I care more because I'm willing to stand up for this and I'm willing to help somebody. I see, I, don't, I care about their soul. You just care about the, the comfort of having the friendship with them. You're more afraid of losing the friendship than you are their life. Ambivalence. Psalm 34, 13 and 14 says, Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And now verse 16 says, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I, I, don't, want, I don't want anybody to be subject to that situation. I don't want anybody I know to have to face the fact that if they're engaged in bad behavior and evil, that God's turned his face from them. See, he died on that cross so that you and I could deliver that message. On Palm Sunday, they loved him. Love. They laid palms down. See, that was an act of contrition and love and adoration and appreciation for him. And just a few days later, they hated him. Just like that. But he died even for them so that they could have life and they could have it more abundantly. Why don't we stand this morning? If I could have our musician. Exposure, tolerance, grudging acceptance, participation, and then the final step is active indulgence. That's how it happens. The word tells us that the sin process starts out with lust, which then leads to sin, which then leads to death. Brother Kyle used to call it the LSD scripture. But if you look just a little bit ahead on that scripture, it says, first, we're drawn away. We're just drawn away. And without a guard, without a hatred for evil, without a definition for what we're willing to accept, we can be drawn away. And then we can be exposed and then tolerate and then accept and then participate. We're going into an awesome season of time of redemption. That's what this Easter season is all about. An opportunity once again. Spring is here. Life is new. We regenerate and rejuvenate every year about this time. Look what God's got for us new for this year. In the light of this time of rejuvenation and this time of refreshing, I want to ask you today, I'm inviting you, come here, make your declaration for God. Decide that as much as you love Him, you love righteousness, you love people, you love the life that He's given you, decide in your heart today that you're going to hate evil hate the things that are displeasing to God because it'll save you. In Jesus' name. Lord, we're so thankful, God, for your word. Lord, I know that this 
message that you've given us is heavy. This isn't one to hoop and holler about. It's not one to jump up and down about. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.